The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Well, good morning again. And I uh, invite you this morning, if you have a Bible with you, to take it and go back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And this morning I want to make a connection from Isaiah 49 to our continuing in a series in the book of Acts. Uh, for those of you who weren't around prior to COVID, we had begun and preached our way from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 6. And uh, we're going to pick up that series But I want to make that connection because, for one thing, I'm very thankful to the Lord for the way in which He has led us in the last few weeks of messages and where He is taking us because they're very much connected. They're very much tied together. Edward read for us those three passages that make that connection from Isaiah 49 and verse 6 through to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And in Isaiah 49 and verse 6, we saw that it was not enough for Christ to merely restore the tribes and nations of Israel, the Lord also gave Christ the servant as a light to the Gentiles, that he should be God's salvation to the ends of the earth. And Luke, who wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, records Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verses 31 to 32, describing Jesus as God's salvation, which you prepare before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. That's the gospel going to all the nations. Luke, even as he's writing his prologue, has in mind the gospel going far beyond Israel and the Jews to the ends of the earth to all nations. In Isaiah 49 and verse 9, God says he will give the servant as a covenant to the people that he may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. And again, back in Luke chapter 1, he records Zechariah speaking of the day spring on high who has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Now, surely Zechariah's words are a, refre- a, re- a reference or an allusion back to Isaiah in both chapters 42 and 49. And in Isaiah 49, verses 9 to 12, Isaiah describes the exiles journeying home. And last week, we saw the reality of our spiritual journey described in the text. And once again, in verse 79 of chapter 1 of Luke, he records Zacharias, speaking of Christ, guiding our feet into the way of peace. He's talking about a spiritual journey. The, the two passages are tied so beautifully together. So the gospel calls us out of darkness into a spiritual journey to follow Christ. And in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus gave us His great commission to His disciples, a commission that continually renews to all believers all through this age. And the commission is, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus' commission is literally, or sorry, verse 19, is literally, as you are going, simultaneously make disciples. That's the way that the verbs work in the Greek, as best I understand the Greek. But we've somehow, over the history of the church, we've expanded that emphasis into a two-step process. First we go... And then secondly, we make disciples. And what we've done is we've separated disciple making from the going. But in reality, those two actions are to happen at the same time. So it's as you are going, be making disciples, whether it's in Noble Park or Nary Warren or Pakenham, in the office, on the work site, in the classroom, in the hospital ward, in whatever situation that God has providentially placed you and I, we are to be making disciples for Christ. We're to follow Christ, glorifying Him as we go, making disciples. We are to be God-glorifying, Christ-following, disciple-making witnesses for Jesus Christ. And here we have... Kind of the motivation that God has placed on my heart to return and finish studying and preaching through Acts. It's for us to see that we are all witnesses for Christ as we are going along this spiritual journey following Jesus. Evangelism is not so much a program or a dedicated activity. Evangelism is a way of life. It's being witnesses wherever we are. Evangelism is about letting the light of the gospel shine through us as his witnesses wherever God has placed us. In Matthew 5 and verse 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the mount and he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, so it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, what I want to do this morning is go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 and use this great theme verse to reintroduce ourselves to the book and its message. Now, I know I I turned a year older this week, and although there's a little more snow on the roof than there was last year, my memory is still relatively intact. I know I preached through Acts chapter 1 back in February 2019, but I think it's worthwhile, before we dive into Acts chapter 6, where we left off, to see again the theme of the whole book and its main message. And its main theme is, we are Christ's witnesses. So Christ has called us out of darkness into the light of the gospel. And having embraced that truth and following Christ, we're to let the light of God's truth shine out through our lives as Christ witnesses with the dual purpose of both glorifying God and making disciples. So starting from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're going to ask and try to answer the question, what does the whole book of Acts teach us about being witnesses for Christ. 
And there are six points, as I remember, on your outline sheet, and you can follow along. Uh, I sent it to you yesterday in an email. So first of all, we are Christ's continuing witnesses. You remember, back in Isaiah 49 and verse 9, the servant was sent first to restore Israel, and he was secondly sent to be a light to the nations or to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, Luke, in his former account, or his former gospel, was... um, he described Jesus as he began to do and to teach to uh, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But Christ also dealt with a few Gentiles along the way. For example, in Matthew 15, we have him dealing with a Canaanite woman. In Luke chapter 7, we have him dealing with the centurion, the centurion's servant. In John chapter 4, he goes out of his way to sit and meet and talk with a Samaritan woman. But Jesus, in the Gospels, is dealing primarily with the Jews of Israel. So clearly, his work of being a light to the Gentiles was not finished. Christ, therefore, commissioned his disciples to continue his work in his name. And so the whole book of Acts is Christ's continuing work to be light and salvation to the ends of the earth, to all the nations of the earth. What was the goal of that? Well, proven read to us in our call to worship this morning. He said there in uh, Psalm 86, There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. That psalm is, sets out the goal of all, in all of creation, that all the nations would come and worship before the Lord. This work of Acts, the work that we are invited to be a part of, is the continuation of Christ's work to be light and salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, in some of your Bibles, you may have the title of the book as the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, I think, and there are some scholars that would uh, kind of say yes, that the book probably could be titled The Acts of Christ Through His Apostles. And that's kind of what we've uh, titled the series as, The Acts of Christ Through the Apostles. In verse 8, we read this great theme verse. He says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's the same phrase again. And what do we see? In chapters 2 through 9, the apostles are witnessing to the Jews. And then in chapter 10, the witness spreads to the Gentiles. And so we see that Christ continued his work through the apostles and the early church out to the nations. And Christ is continuing his work through us today to still reach all the nations. As we're going Following Christ on our spiritual journey, we're commissioned to join Christ in his work of being God's light to the nations. So following Christ, we glorify him by delighting in him as the shepherd. We glorify him by bearing witness to our new life and our salvation that we have in Christ. We glorify him as we call others to come out of darkness, to come into God's light, to be saved, to join Christ on his journey. It's kind of like we step up onto that narrow road. 
And as we're heading along and Christ is in the future, in the, not the future, in the distance, and we can see him and our eyes are fastened on him and we're following him, we're seeing others going the other way to destruction and we try and grab them and bring them onto the same narrow track that we're on to follow Christ all the way to glory. So we have been uh, called by God and commissioned by Christ to glorify Him in continuing His work by reaching out with the light of the gospel to the nations. You have to kind of pause and say, wow, how great is our God? How great is His grace that He uses us? Weak, broken, failing, cracked vessels, cracked pots. And He uses us as He fills us with His Spirit to reach out with the Gospel message to the nations. So first of all, we are Christ's continuing witness. Secondly, we are Christ's Spirit-filled witnesses. How are we going to shine as God's light to the world? Well, Acts 1 verse 8 says it. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The disciples had Christ present with them all through his earthly ministry. And he told them, uh, in a passage not far from where Peter was reading this morning, that it was to their benefit that he go. So when he went, he would send his spirit to fill all the disciples once he was gone. And it was our benefit that Christ is in us in the sense of his spirit fills us. The disciples were promised Christ's Spirit in them to witness. Shining as God's light is kind of like being a lighthouse. Imagine, uh, Heather and I went away. We were in Portland right before the lockdown. In fact, we had to leave quickly because of lockdown. But we spent one night out at a lighthouse and we went up and looked close at it in the middle of a storm. And the lighthouse is like built out of bricks and mortar. It has framework and it builds. It's all this great big structure that goes way up in the air. And the whole goal of that structure is to hold up a great big powerful light. And we're merely the bricks and the mortar and the framework and the glass windows and the pivot. But the light shining into a lost and darkened world is God's Holy Spirit in us. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, filling them. In chapter 4 and verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, witnessed to the rulers and the elders and the scribes. In chapter 7 and verse 55, Stephen, filled with the Spirit, witnessed, and he had the, the tremendous blessing of seeing heaven open and seeing the exalted, glorified Christ standing there. In chapter 10 and verse 44, the Gentiles were filled with the Spirit as they heard the gospel message. And chapter 13, verses 2 through 12, Paul and Barnabas are filled with the Spirit for their missionary work. Now we know from Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4, we know the Spirit permanently fills and seals every believer at the moment of our conversion. The Holy Spirit empowered them. That's what he said. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he empowers us to live this new life in Christ. His indwelling presence in us produces the light which we shine. His Holy Spirit guided the apostles in the moments of special uh, inspiration. 
The Holy Spirit moved both the prophets in the Old Testament and apostles in the New Testament to write Scripture. And the Holy Spirit has given us His inspired written Word. Edward gave thanks in his prayer this morning for the completed Word of God that we have in our hands. We have every word that the Spirit of God inspired for us to know and have and use. And He works to apply the truth of Scripture to guide our witnessing. Listen, beloved, we have everything we need to complete the mission to shine as the light of the gospel of Christ to all the nations. We have God's Spirit in us. We have God's Word before us. And we have the church surrounding us. And when we let the light of the presence of God's Holy Spirit in us shine through our lives into a darkened world, the wonderful thing is God gets the glory. You say, what does that look like? His Spirit, through His Word, guides us. He guides our thinking and our words. He guides our activities, what we will or will not do according to Scripture. He guides our responses, what we're to say. He guides us as to when we speak or when we remain silent. God's Holy Spirit gives us the power to live, to shine the Christian life to a watching world. But the question is, are we shining as Spirit-filled witnesses? Or are we trying to do it in our own power? Are we shining or is it possible that like a careless light keeper, lighthouse keeper, we've let the windows get dark and cloudy and foggy and when the light shines, the light is still as powerful as it ever was inside. But because of carelessness, the glass has become foggy and clouded and the light is not able to shine through as much as it ought to. The question is, are we shining as spirit-filled witnesses? So firstly, we are His continuing witness. Secondly, we are His Spirit-filled witnesses. And thirdly, the book of Acts would teach us that we are Christ's resurrection witness. He said in verse 8, You shall be witnesses to Me, or more generally, you shall be My witnesses. We are to be witnesses to Christ's life, His death, and His resurrection. In Luke's Gospel, we have an extended witness of Christ's life and death and resurrection. In Acts 2, verse 22, Peter stood up on that great day and he gave a witness to Jesus' life in ministry. In verse 23, he gave a witness to Jesus' death at the hands of the Jews and the Romans, God delivering them over, but them taking and crucifying him. In Acts 2 and verse 24 to 33, Peter leaves a long section to give a witness to Jesus' resurrection. Now back here in Acts chapter 1, as you read those verses, you realize that the twelve there with Jesus were eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection. In chapter 7 and verse 56, Stephen gave an eyewitness to the resurrected, exalted Christ. The heavens were open. And I'm convinced with his eyes, his physical eyes, he was enabled for a few moments to see the risen, glorified Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that Christ was seen by the twelve, by five hundred at one time, by the apostles, and last of all, as one out of due time, Paul himself saw the resurrected Christ. The apostles and the early church 
witnessed Christ's life, His death, and His resurrection. But brothers and sisters, we are also Christ's witness to His life, His death, and His resurrection. The apostles had the joy of seeing Christ with physical eye, but we have the immense privilege of seeing Christ through the eyes of faith. As Peter said, whom having not seen, still we love. We have been filled with the Spirit which testifies to the truth of God's Word, and we see through the eyes of faith the resurrected Christ. And both the apostles and we today glorify Christ by witnessing to Him, by living the new life in Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. As I said before, being witnesses to Christ is like being a lighthouse. Christ is the foundation stone. When we're out that uh, lighthouse up in Portland, it was built up on top of a great big knoll of rock. It was anchored firmly on that rock so the winds and storms couldn't push it over. Christ is our foundation stone and we're the living stones that have been built up on Him. And Christ's Holy Spirit is the brilliant, blazing light within us. We're the glass through which that light shines. And like I said a minute ago, it must be kept clear. When our lives are built on Christ, kept free of sin, and live in the leading and guiding power of the Holy Spirit, then the light shines as a witness to Christ. And that demands a response. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 36, we see Christ's resurrection pointed the Jews to the truth, the reality that Jesus was, or Jesus is, sorry, their promised Messiah. And then in Acts chapter 17, in verses 30 and 31, Paul is preaching at Athens, at the Acropolis. And Christ's resurrection pointed the Gentiles to Jesus as the judge. In both Jews and Gentiles, which covers all of mankind, must respond to the message, to the witness of Christ's resurrection with repentance and faith in God. The question for us is, us today is, are we living as witnesses to Christ? Are we living in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we striving to keep the glass of our lives clean so that Christ can shine through us and into a darkened world? Brother and sister, we give a witness. You say, how do we do that? Well, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The reality is just we went through that baptismal tank over there. We went down into the water and we displayed to everybody watching that we have been buried with Christ. We've died with Him. We've been buried with Him. And we've been raised to walk a new life. I think one of the struggles we have as witnesses in the world we live in is we look so much like the world around us that we have no testimony to them. It's kind of like, I'm a woodworker, as some of you know, and uh, going into my workshop, I'm picking up a piece of sandpaper and, and thinking, well, I could sand the wood with this rough 80-grit sandpaper, and it would take a good couple of rubs, and you could feel the sawdust all coming off. Or I could take another block of wood, and I could put the two blocks of wood together and rub them back and forth, and the reality is they both look alike. They've both got the same ex exterior surface and appearance, and as much as I rub them off, like that, neither one really has any influence or effect on the other one. 
The reality is, as long as we look like the world we're trying to witness to, we will have almost no effect on them. But when we live the new life in Christ, when we live that resurrection lifestyle that we claim as we follow Christ, then we have an influence. The great tragedies of the church, especially in the last hundred years, is a steady, continual drive to look like, be like, and sound like the world under the false idea that we can reach the world if we look like the world. That's been proven over the last 50 years. It doesn't work. Christ called us to be His witnesses. He called us to live the new life in Christ. And that Spirit-filled, changed life is what bears tremendous influence and impact on the world around us especially when we add the message of the resurrection and death of Christ to it. So we are to be His continuing witnesses, continuing the work that He began. We're to be His Spirit-filled witnesses. We're to be um, His resurrection witnesses. And fourthly, we're to be His all-inclusive witnesses. Notice again what He says in verse 8. You will be my witnesses or witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, there's two ways you can understand that that point title, all-inclusive witness. They're both correct, but one kind of fits the text a bit better. So, first of all, all disciples are his witnesses. It's an all-inclusive thing. Every one of us has been called to follow Christ and be a witness. Now, you may be a silent witness, or you may be that street-preaching motormouth who cannot stop talking about Christ everywhere he goes. He just keeps talking about the Lord Jesus. And the reality is, Christ uses both for his kingdom purposes. We are all included in that call to present a witness by our lifestyle as well as our words. But the second way to think of all-inclusive witness is more fitting to the text. And it means this. We are to include all men in the scope of our witness, the objects of our witness. Christ intends our witness to reach Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans and go to all the nations to the very end of the earth. In chapter 2, the Jews, mostly men and women of Israel, heard and were saved. In chapter 3, we see a, lime, a layman, sorry, was hurt. Sorry, a layman who heard he was healed and he was saved. In chapter 6, we see both Jewish and Hellenistic widows were saved and included in the church and ministered to. In chapter 8, we see the Samaritans were evangelized by Philip. They heard the message, they believed, and were saved. In chapter 10, we see the gospel goes to the Gentiles, the Romans. They heard the gospel and they were saved. In chapter 16, we see the Macedonian call. Europeans heard the gospel and were saved. In chapter 17, there's Greeks and philosophers heard the gospel and they were saved. And so the book of Acts includes young and old, middle-aged, physical challenged and physically whole Religious and pagan peoples, merchants, servants, slaves, soldiers, jailers, philosophers, and kings. And the reality is, they all needed to hear the message, and the message was sent to all of them. Acts describes the witness being made to all walks of life. Many heard, 
Some received and believed, and through God's sovereignty, some were saved. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 48, the Bible says this, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And Acts records and describes what's paradoxical to our understanding, our limited human understanding. Mankind hearing and believing, at the same time, God's sovereignty in saving his elect. We say, how do they fit together? We can't figure it out. But the reality is, God can. But the thing is, it's not ours to wonder who is his elect and to preach to those, and who's not his elect and leave them alone. Ours is to be his all-inclusive witnesses to everyone. Ours is to witness for Christ and trust him to save whoever he will. The question isn't which one is elect and which is not. The question is, why don't we go and preach the gospel and let them, let God save whomever he will? That's his decision. That's his to do. Again, it's easy to, get, to misunderstand the whole point here. We think sometimes that we go out and people save because we preach. The reality is God uses our preaching to save those people. But for all we know, there's a whole life lived before that as the Spirit of God has worked in that person's life to bring them and lead them and present them to hear the message of the gospel. And that message that we share, we present through our lives, maybe the final pin in a long series of events. But we are, ours is not to wonder who is his elect and who is not. Ours is to be his all-inclusive witnesses to everyone. Ours is to witness for Christ and trust him to save whomever he will. Fifthly, we are Christ's providentially guided witnesses. Now, if you remember back in Matthew 28, the last verse uh, the last line of that verse, it says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The book of Acts describes God's providence at work in the apostles. Now, the word providence isn't something that we use a lot anymore, although uh, John Piper just put out a 700-page book on God's providence. So if you need some, some good, solid chewing on that topic, there's a 700-page book out that you can read on it. But what is God's providence? It's God's governing of all things. He leads, directs, moves, places, opens, closes every created thing, both miraculously and ordinarily, in agreement with his most wise counsel and his purpose to glorify Christ in everything. R.C. Sproul in his typical gruff manner, said there's no such thing as a random molecule in all the universe. So God's providence is always at work in your life and everybody else's life to put us where he wants us to be, to use us according to his purpose, to accomplish his will for our good and for his glory. In Acts chapter 7, I was reading that passage and, and thinking about the next messages in 6 and 7. And Stephen's speech before the Sanhedrin where Saul heard his words. And we think, oh, here's me rising up, a great preacher for the gospel, for the church. He gets one sermon that lasts about 15 minutes. 
and he's taken outside and he's stoned. We said that doesn't make sense to us. Why didn't God use him for so much longer? But in God's providential guiding, that's where he placed him. And a man named Saul heard that message. In Acts chapter 8, God used Saul to persecute the church and God used him to scatter them out around. And they spread out to Samaria and other parts of the earth. We know, I think it was Noel telling me years ago, that many people in India have the name Thomas. Why? Because history tells us that Thomas took the gospel to India way, way back in the, in the first century. So God used Saul's persecution of the church to scatter it and spread it out. In Acts chapter 8, God sent Philip to Samaria and he preached the gospel and multitudes believed and saved. And then God said, go down that desert road and meet one man. And Philip obeyed. And he went and he witnessed to one Ethiopian in a chariot. And that Ethiopian took his gospel of Isaiah and his newfound faith in God and went back to Ethiopia and the gospel spread to Ethiopia. In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes up on a rooftop to have a little nap before dinner. In a vision, he sees a sheet coming down, unclean animals made clean. And God sent him to preach the gospel to Gentiles. He got in trouble with it from some of the Jews after the whole event. And the Gentiles heard the gospel. They were saved. And the gospel began its 2,000 year long spread to the ends of the earth. You see, for them, Rome was about as far away as you could get. So that was the end of the earth. God is spreading the gospel. In Acts 12, God permitted Herod to behead James. And then God freed Herod from, sorry, God freed Peter, not Herod, Peter from Herod and prison while the church prayed. And I just got to throw this in. Do you know what the only biblical reason is for skipping the prayer meeting? you got to be in prison. It's right there in the book of Acts. And of course, I'm only kidding. But that's, that's what God is doing. God used uh, Peter. He freed him from prison and from Herod. In Acts chapter 9, God met Saul. He converted him. He blinded him. Then he restored his sight and he sent him to preach the gospel. In chapters 13 to 16, God sends Paul and Barnabas to be witnesses for Christ in Asia Minor, and then in chapter 16, he stops Paul and Barnabas from witnessing in Asia and Bithynia. But instead, through a vision, God calls Paul and Barnabas to Macedonia and the gospel spreads to Europe. Acts displays God's providence allowing, leading, opening and closing doors. God preserved his witnesses through threats. Murder plots, angry mobs, storms at sea, constant trials, persecution, and martyrdom. Christ kept his promise to his church. In Matthew 28 and verse 20, he was with them all through those days, leading and moving and guiding and governing the spread of the gospel. Christ is glorifying his Father's name by his acts through us to witness for Christ, to spread the gospel to all the nations. And listen, brothers and sisters, God is also using and moving and leading and guiding and governing you and I. Christian, don't despair. If God suddenly moves you somewhere you would not have chosen to be, He has a plan. He's working it out. You're in it for His glory and for your good. 
Trust in God. He's with you wherever He calls you to serve, from the palace or the prison. God is with you. Reminds me of uh, two of my Puritan heroes. They were friends. One name was John Bunyan and one was named John Owen. And Owen served faithfully in the palace before the king and then later before Cromwell. And Bunyan served differently. He served faithfully from a prison cell, writing and preaching. To them, it wasn't about where God had called and placed them. It was about being faithful to Christ wherever he put them. And Owen worked tirelessly in the palace to try and get Bunyan free. And they never let him out because he kept promising to carry on preaching. He got out for a time and was later put back in and got out before he died. You know the wonderful the end of that story is? These two guys are buried side by side in Bun Hill Fields in London. You can go there and see their graves. Listen, it wasn't about where God placed them. The question is not about where God is leading us or if God is still leading and guiding us. The question is, are we faithfully following Christ on that journey, glorifying Him by being His witnesses wherever He has placed us? The question is, are we willing to follow him regardless of where he takes us to be his witnesses to glorify his name? God is using us in whatever circumstance. The question is, are we willing to work to keep that glass clean? Are we willing to work to spend time in the Scriptures allowing the Spirit of God to teach us what God's Word would say, to fuel us and equip us, to feed us so that we can speak God's Word to the nations? Sixthly and lastly, we are Christ's suffering witnesses. Now, it's not mentioned specifically in chapter 8 of verse 1, but it's certainly all through the book of Acts. Jesus speaking to his disciples before his own suffering and death in Luke 21, verses 12 and 13, said this. He said, they'll lay their hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought... Try again. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for witness. And the word he uses there is the Greek word martyrion. We get the word martyr from it. They use it as the word witness or testimony. So the idea of a witness for Christ is tied together with the idea of martyrdom. And and the witnesses for Christ often suffered for their witness. We can see it from Acts 3 all the way to Acts 28. Acts is the story of Christ's suffering witnesses. In chapter 4, the apostles were threatened and commanded to stop and then they were beaten. In chapter 7, Stephen is stoned to death, becoming the first martyr or the first martyr by his death, witnessed by his death. In chapter 8, Saul persecuted the church, pursuing and imprisoning Christians. In chapter 12, James was beheaded, Peter was imprisoned and freed, and then much later in life, outside the biblical testimony, he was crucified upside down, fulfilling Jesus' words that he gave him in John 21. In chapter 13 in Antioch, the Jews stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. In chapter 14 in Iconium, the Jews and Gentiles and the rulers attempt to stone Paul and Barnabas in Derby 
Just after that, Paul is stoned and left for dead. In Philippi, Paul and Silas are beaten and imprisoned, and so on and so on. Acts is the book, the witness, the, the, the record of a suffering witness for Christ. Of the original twelve disciples, all but one died a violent death. Throughout church history, martyrs and witnesses for Christ have given the ultimate testimony for Christ by their suffering and their death. And as we're following Christ on our spiritual journey, we're to be prepared and to realize our witness for Christ may include suffering. The thing is this. As we are going, we're to be making disciples for Christ, witnessing through our suffering for Christ of our allegiance to Christ. The question is not, will we suffer? The question is, will we continue faithful, steadfast, anchored to Christ all the way to the end? However, that, ep- that ending happens. To wrap it all up, tie it all together. Brothers and sisters, we saw last week that Christ has called us out of spiritual darkness to follow Him on our spiritual journey all the way home and into God's unending, glorious presence. Christ is our faithful, good shepherd, our great shepherd of the sheep. And we saw last week how He feeds us with His solid spiritual food. Why? To fuel our souls and fuel our witness for Him. He meets us on desolate heights to commune with us, to strengthen us for that ongoing witness. He protects us from being snatched out of His hand. They may beat us up, they may flog us and scourge us, they may even kill us, but they cannot take us out of Christ's hand. He sets for us the perfect example for life and ministry and suffering and death. He refreshes us in Himself as the water of life and He removes every obstacle for our journey home. The Christ's desire for us is that we glorify His name by knowing Him, by walking with Him, and by bearing witness for Him. How are we going to do that? Number one, being filled with His Holy Spirit. By following Him throughout our spiritual journey, wherever He takes us and wherever He leads us. By continuing His work of shining the light of God's truth into the darkness of this world. And brothers and sisters, you have to be blind to not realize, I don't mean blind with the eyes, I mean blind in your cognizance, to not realize that this world is getting darker and darker as the days go by. We're called to follow Christ, being His witnesses of His life, His death, and His resurrection to everybody who will listen. And being willing to suffer for that witness. Brother and sister, as we in Christ, as we dive again into the book of Acts, carry this verse with you. It's the theme verse. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's happened. We know the joy of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the moment of our conversion. And you shall be my witnesses. He doesn't say you you might be, you could be, if you want to be. 
He says, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I did a little research yesterday and I discovered that there's something like 7,000 people groups in the earth, in the world. That means that their cultures and languages are significantly different from each other. 7,000. They don't have a Bible in their own language and they don't have churches established for the glory of Christ in those cultures. 7,000 thousand people groups. You say it's an online statistic. It might not be accurate. Let's just say we cut it down by a scale of 90%. There's 700 people groups. That's still a lot. There's so many out there that need to hear the gospel. They're sitting in our neighborhood right around us. They need to hear the gospel. What they're looking for is seeing lives that are changed by the power of the Spirit of God and transformed into new lives in Christ, living and walking, following Christ, and glorifying Him by being His witnesses. I had a, um, a, a FaceTime chat with Chloe Wolfson for about two hours a couple weeks ago just to talk about evangelism and, and to see how they're doing it. And she said, we've got to get this idea in our heads. I'm, I'm not, there's not an exact word. I'm just editorializing on what she said. But the idea is we have to shift from, from thinking evangelism is going out and targeting people to give them the gospel. Evangelism is about living a life, building friendships and building relationships so that our lives, as we share them, the witness of Christ, the light of the gospel, the light of of the Spirit of God inside us is allowed to shine into their lives, making an impact. We refuse to do certain things because of our devotion to God, our faith in Christ. We refuse to stay and, and participate in certain activities because of our love for Christ, our devotion to Christ, our following of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That has an impact. I want us as a church to see again the truth of Acts, that we are all to be witnesses for Christ wherever we are. It's not about going, then witnessing. It's about, as you're already going, be witnesses. May God help us, brother and sister, to follow Christ. And as we are going along the way, filled with His Spirit, let's get busy being witnesses for Him and for His glory. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank You and we praise You again, O God, for our Savior. Father, we thank You for His mercy and His grace. Father, I thank You for Anvil Island Bible Camp in 1982 and a man named Larry Reimer who gave up a week of his vacation time to come up and spend with ten bratty kids to share the Gospel with them in a little cabin on Anvil Island. And Father, for that moment when You reached down and opened my eyes and changed the inclination of my heart and I wanted so bad to have Jesus. Father, I thank You for the way in which You have worked in every one of our lives, those of us who know Christ. And sometime in the past, You've opened our eyes to the Gospel. You've helped us to see that we're sinners and absolutely lost before You. And You've called us out of darkness and into Your light to journey behind Christ. Father, let us not lose sight that we have all been called to be Your witnesses wherever we go. Father, we pray 
We pray together as a church that you would light a fire within us, a fire of a passion to see the nations reach for the gospel. Father, I pray that you would work in each one of us this morning. Father, there is situations in different ones' lives that needs to be sorted out. Father, the glass needs cleaning. Life needs to be polished that the light of Christ might shine through it to those around us. Father, work in each of us. Father, we all need your sanctifying work, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, convict us of sin. Convict us of ungodly habits and desires and passions that are hindering the gospel from going forward. Father, I plead with you that you would do your work in us, that you might use us as witnesses for you. Father, we give thanks again for this morning. Father, we thank you for the reminder, the memory we had of Christ. And Father, just thinking back to those words that Peter shared, I'm reminded again that we will not have a witness if we do not abide in the vine. And Father, we thank you for the life-giving Spirit of God that flows from the branch or the vine to the branches that we might bear fruit. Father, we ask you this morning for a work to be done in all of us. Father, start with the elders and work your way down. Work your way up. Work a change in each one of us. Father, that we might portray and reflect Christ to the world around us. Lord, we ask you these things in the precious and the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.